Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Well, greetings this Lord's Day, this beautiful day, in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Greetings. We greet you today in the name of him who earned his name like no other has done or no other could do. Christ bore our sins and suffered death as a malefactor. And after his death and burial, there was yet another depth for him to descend. But as David sang and prophesied, God did not leave him there. Can we say amen? That place could not conquer him, but he conquered it and came out with the keys of it in his hands. In Psalm 16, David sang and prophesied about it when he said, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot and thy lines are fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand that I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou will show me the path of life and in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can we say thanks be to God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are thankful to you, Lord, for all that you have done. Lord, as I studied for my message today from Luke 16, Lord, I was shown in your word and revealed a little bit more of the beauty of and the power of what you have done for me. I pray today as we gather together and we come unto you that you would forgive our sins, that we would be thankful that you brought us here, that you would change us by your word, and that we would leave this place ready to go out and do the things that you have called us all to do. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said...
remain standing for just a few more moments as I read for you my text from Luke chapter 16. And Matthew, that was exceptional. Exceptional. Luke 16, verses 22 through 25 is my text. My sermon today is called Abraham, Angels, and the Afterlife. Luke 16, 22 says this. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you would speak to your people, that you would speak to my heart. Lord, that by your words, we would be changed today. Lord, that by beholding your face, we would be changed today to be more like you. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked about rich people. Remember that? So who are the rich? We are, that's right. We have so much. We've been so very blessed to be born here in the United States, to be born here in Ohio with all of the cornfields and all the beautiful trees that we have. And the world we live in here in Pickaway County would really be kind of like a fairyland to most of the world. If they were to come here, they wouldn't believe that it was so safe and so welcoming and so beautiful. For you, it's just you know, someplace you drive through, but you live in a fairyland, you really do. We're so safe, so cared for, so free. Did you guys count your blessings this week? Give thanks to God? Did you look at all the kindness God has shown you and how He called you out of darkness and brought you into His marvelous light? I hope you did. I hope you took the time to think of others and to see yourself as you really are, for you and I are indeed the rich men. We're dressed in fine, warm clothes today, and we fare sumptuously every day. So let's go deeper into our story. This story is not a fairy tale. It's a real story. It does, though, give us eyes into the unseen world of the Spirit. Things are going on all around us that we cannot see. Now, In the past, this might have been difficult for people to imagine, but we live in a world right now where that's really not that hard to imagine, right? We we interact constantly with Wi-Fi. Do we not? Cellular, radio, television waves. And they're invisible, but we know they're real things, right? And there is a tangible touch that we have to them where we can see them, but... They're flying all over, right? There are text messages flying through the air right now, all over the place. It's amazing to me. But there is an invisible world going on that is very real. Heaven and hell are real. Everybody say, heaven and hell are real. 
Now, even though that statement is true, I don't really know that we understand what it means. But everybody say angels are real. Right now, angels are working on our behalf as the Bible teaches us. They are ministering to us. Angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. They are uh, answering our prayers as God sends them. They are coming as they came to Daniel. Remember, Daniel prayed day after day after day, and the angel shows up and he says, I'm glad you kept praying because I was prevented, but I came. Remember that? Now, in our story, in our text, there's a poor man, though, whose life was miserable beyond our imagination. And in our text, uh, these angels take this man to a wonderful place called Abraham's bosom, also known as paradise. And I'm going to read it for you again. I'm going to back up a little bit. It says in verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. That's like us, right? And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate full of sores and desiring to be fed from the crumbs, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. This is a really something none of us could imagine. We're more like the rich man. We can imagine what that's like, but we can't imagine at all what it would be like to be like this poor man whose sores were being licked, who was begging from the table. And so it came to pass that the beggar died. Everybody say the beggar died. The beggar died. That's, a bad, that's the bad news. And as we, as we go on, we're going to investigate this. We're going to look into what the Bible says about this. But I'm going to continue to read this. It says, it came to pass that the beggar died. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Everybody say Abraham's bosom. Now the rich man, he also died and he was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flame. So what did Abraham say? Son, remember that in your life you received good things and Lazarus evil, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And then he added a few things that we hadn't read in our text. He said, beside this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from here to you, they cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come to you. So picture it like this. There is a great gulf right down here. The aisle. You got a place over here and you got a place over here. And down the middle, you have a, a great gulf. Now you can cross over that, but if it was big enough... And if there was something here like water or fire or a wall or something, you might be in the same place, but there'd be something that would keep you from getting from one side to another. He said, I pray therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they come also to this place of torment. Abraham said unto them, they have Moses, and they have the prophets, let him hear them. He said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if I went, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, kids, are you guys listening to me today? Doesn't this, do, does any of you kids have any imaginations besides the ones they make up for you on these movies? <laughs> you guys ever sit and think, you read a story like this? Peter, there's a lot to think about in this story. 
there's a lot of topics as I begin to read this, you know, this is brand new stuff in the life of Christ. This comes up and it's being talked about in a way that's never been talked about. I don't find this talked about anywhere. So where did poor Lazarus go? And why and how did he get there? Who was there with him? Are there people still there in this place? So where did the rich man go? Who else was with him there in this place of torment? Is this really purgatory or something like that? Kind of sounds almost like what some people call that. Are people still in this place? You might have been wondering what is going to happen to me, what's going to happen to you when you die. These questions might come up. Now, this is a very peculiar story Jesus told, and I think that we covered the reason why he told it last week, which I really think is the broader picture. But even in the midst of the broader idea of what he was trying to get across, he still conveys some theology, and he still contains some deeper meaning here that I think it's worth looking at, and so we're going to do it. So I gave this a whole other week, and I'm glad I did. Now, first off, I'd like to say that the Bible does not answer all of our questions. We might have questions when we read these things, and we may ask them, and you may, well, somebody really smart, someone that really knows the Bible can answer these questions. Folks, no, the Bible is not an encyclopedia filled with facts. It tells things, but some things it doesn't tell us, right, Michael? And we're left to just not know. But there are just enough things said here that are important that God has revealed to us that he wants us to look at. God expressly and specifically lets us know what he wants us to know about him. And he does this through his word. Even though I have lived in the pages of the Bible uh, for probably 49 years, I've been studying, reading. And I, sometimes the very best answer I can give is, I don't know. God's word doesn't say as far as I can tell. Now, next, I'd like to say that this story told by our Lord seems to be very clearly a true story about the fate of two very real men. Now, some respected Bible commentators still say that it must have been a parable. Michael was telling me he preached on this recently. I don't know where you came down on this, but maybe you agree with the commentators that it was a parable. Uh, maybe you believe that it's a real story. Okay. Uh, I think either one is okay. The way Calvin said it was, no matter how you look at it, whether it's a parable or a real story in your mind, Jesus always told us what was true. And so he would not have told us a parable where things wouldn't be true. This is what Calvin said about this. So either way, we're good. But I believe it was a true story. I believe God's word teaches us that the places that Jesus talked about, Abraham's bosom and the place of torment are real places. I believe in heaven, hell, angels, all of these things. I believe that all who were ever saved, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, as well as those who were introduced to in the New Testament, I believe they were all saved the same way. There, is, there are not two different ways to be saved. There's only one. There was one way to be saved in, uh, for Abraham, and there's a, the same way to be saved today by us. There's not an Old Testament salvation and a New Testament salvation. Salvation only comes through faith in Christ. Say, salvation only comes through faith in Christ. The people in the Old Testament did not live good enough lives, and therefore they got to go to a good place. And those that lived bad lives got to go to a bad place. But those who had faith and who believed in Christ that was to come 
believed in Christ and he came and he's not relegated to time. He is outside of time, even though he's in time at the same time. His salvation went backwards and forward in time as it does for us. Now, I'm, I'm not going to take time to fully explain right now all of this and everything about this, okay? But I'm going to make a statement that might scare some of you, really. So, so don't be scared. You ready? Everybody who dies goes to the same place. That's a little scary, right? Benita, are you okay with that? Everybody goes to the same place. All right. Now, but here's the deal. Everyone goes to the same place, but within that place are two places. Now, are you a little bit, maybe a little bit better? So we all go to the same place. It'd be like, we all go to Ohio, but not everybody goes to Columbus. They, some of them go to Zanesville. All right. So Ohio is the one place and these places within Ohio are different places, although they're in the same place. Does that make sense to you? All right. So don't get scared. Don't get worried. I, I, I will explain. Everyone who dies goes to the unseen world. And within that one place, there are two places. One place for God's elect and the other place for the ungodly. One place, but two places inside that one place. All die and enter into the unseen world, often called the grave. Everybody say the grave. grave. It's also called hell. Now the word hell is often translated in the King James Version uh, this hell, when we think of hell, what do you think of, Peter? You think of flames, right, and torment, and, and maybe if I said the lake of fire, if I said was hell the lake of fire, you might even say, yeah, I think it might be. But hell and the lake of fire are not the same thing, okay? So this little bit of theology we're going to discuss today to help you understand this. Hell, most of the time in Scripture, refers to the grave, Okay, David in Psalm 139 said this. He said, if I go up to heaven, you are there, O Lord. But if I make my bed in hell, you are there. So do you think God, do you think that David meant that if he went to the lake of fire, that God was going to be there? Is that what you think he's saying? Or is he saying, and you can look it up in the Old Testament, this place could be translated the grave and not hell. So hell is a word that can be misunderstood in the Bible. So not everything the Bible says about hell, if you were going to do, I used to do these topical studies when I was a kid and I was, you know, very much so wanting to the, so I would look up in the Nave's topical Bible everywhere the Bible said hell. And then I would form a doctrine based on all the times it said hell. Well, when I grew up, I learned that there are things in the Bible that are translated that sound one way, but they're not. So you got to look a little bit deeper into the, the language to understand fully what you're learning. Okay? David wasn't saying he was worried about eternal judgment in a lake of fire. He was saying that God would be with him even after he died. In fact, the book of Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 tells us what? One day there will be two things that will be cast into the lake of fire. Any Bible people out here can tell me what it is? Revelation 20 14. And death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. So if hell is the lake of fire, we've got a little problem here, right? So we got the lake of fire being cast into the lake of fire. That would be impossible, right? So death and hell or death and the grave, death and the unseen world of the dead will be cast into the lake of fire. Okay, it's going to be gone. It's going to be destroyed. 
So let's cover these topics as they appear in Scripture, okay? Verse 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Everybody say, Lazarus died, that's the bad news. And you might think for his life, it couldn't get any worse. He had sores, he was hungry, he was humiliated, he was laying at that gate, his life was bad. But in a sense, we might think, well, it got worse. But folks, you know what death was not for old Lazarus? It was not a step down. It was a step up. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. You know, when I was working on this, Andy, about this time, tears start to warm up in my eyes, and I just start thinking. I'm like, oh my word, if this is all we cover today, if it's all we get through on Sunday, if I don't make it past this line, that Lazarus died, and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. If I never got any farther than that, Christina, I'm like, we've gone far enough. Amen? Can you think of it? Can you imagine, Derek, what it will be like to die and to be taken by God's holy angels and to be taken to a place that God has prepared for us? Oh, this can never be considered a step down. His long days of heedless suffering were over. His endless hours of humiliation, laying at the gate, looking under the rich man table for what never came. It was done, Steve. His constant burning sores that never seemed to heal and were only cooled by the licking of the dogs. They were gone. I get excited when I read the Bible, when I start to see stuff like this. Oh, how much more wonderful heaven will be for those who knew nothing of it in this life. Kind of like those who have been forgiven much. They love much. Those whose lives have been a living hell, as the, it is often said. For them, heaven will be so much more amazing and so much more wonderful and so much more stark. Lazarus' death was a stepping stone more pleasant than his life to a high life he could only attempt to dream of. But in his dreams, he could only dream of wearing comfortable clothes, Steve. He could only dream of actually eating food from the top of that table. That's all his mind could go. The dainties of that table. But what he found was, as the Bible teaches, was beyond his feeble imagination. It had not even entered into his heart the table that God would prepare for him at Abraham's bosom. Saints of God, it will be so for all of us, for as much as we have, and as it is true that we are rich men of this world, those who fare sumptuously every day, what God has prepared for us will dwarf all that we can imagine too. Like this, we are just like the poor man. We think we can imagine what it will be like, but we cannot. And so Lazarus dies, and before he even makes it to where he is going, he is touched, and he is carried in flight by those unseen spirit beings God has said were made servants for those he has ordained to inherit salvation. No doubt these messengers of the Most High looked at this poor man over. In fact, they may have even tried to look into him, because the Bible says that's what they do. They desire to look into what they can't understand they begin to look in to understand what great salvation. Those beings whose power and majesty blind men and bind entire nations bore Lazarus up like a king upon a royal litter in a chair and took him 
to where all just men since Adam's banishment from Eden dream of going. They dream to return to paradise. By its very name, Abraham's bosom, we know that this place to be far better than the garden God made for man. For when Lazarus awoke from the sleep of his death, he was not alone. He was not incomplete there with something yet to be done. But he woke up in the bosom of men, of good men, of godly men, and of his father Abraham. Let's talk about the name of this place and about that for just a minute. Everybody say, Abraham's bosom. Now, first, we get to talk about Abraham. Now, I don't know the names of all the people that are there, but I know Abraham was there. And as you might remember, Abraham is known in the scriptures as the father of the faithful. This does not mean that he is the father of those who were faithful, as in those who kept their duty faithfully. He is the father of those who understood that salvation was something to be attained by faith in God. That's what it means to say that Abraham is the father of the faithful. And by doing so, he became the friend of God. Abraham believed God, it says, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, did you hear me that? Okay. Faith is not, though being faithful is not being that you did it all right, like as in a faithful wife or a faithful servant. But to be the father of the faithful meant those who understood that salvation comes by faith. This place was not called Moses' bosom. It was not called Adam's bosom. It was not even called David's bosom. But it was called Abraham's. You heard about Abraham in our readings today. He is known as the man who, even though he could not see God, though he did not know where God wanted him to go and where he was sending him, he left his hometown of Ur. He left it for a new city whose builder and maker was God. He was the one who walked with God and talked with God without a written law to tell him how to love his fellow man. He, by faith, loved God, listened for his voice, and obeyed him, even when what God said made no sense to him. He was told by the angels who visited him that he would have a son with his wife Sarah, but she was too old. But still, he came into her in her old age, and God gave him a son at the ripe old age of 100. It's Abraham who offered Isaac his son, the answer to his prayer and the prophecy of God. He offered that son, that answer to the prayer on an altar to God, believing, as it says in Hebrews chapter 11, that even if he killed him, that God would raise him from the dead. Folks, I'm telling you right now, that kind of faith, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to top that. God's given us all challenges of faith, but none like that. I can't even comprehend it, but Abraham, he had that kind of faith, and he just said, Lord, Lord, if you can give me a son at 100, you can probably give me one at 120. Yep, you know what, Lord, you promised even this son. You know what, I know if I even kill him, you'll raise him from the dead. That's a man of faith, folks. It's that kind of faith that believes in what he cannot see. If he says God said this will be, he's banking on it. He's counting on it. He knows there's nothing he can do to prevent it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Folks, we need to have that kind of faith in God's salvation ability. I love that scripture that Luke quotes. I quote it all the time. That salvation that is reserved for us, right? That God has established for us, that he's given us. It is kept by the power of God. And there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. 
Paul just tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved. Everybody say, through faith. It is indeed by God's grace that we are saved, but it is through his faith that we are saved. God is good and kind and just, and he has given us salvation before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. But the way God has chosen to bring this about is through our faith. He is saving us and he's saving the world by his grace, but he is doing it through acts of faith. We read about this in, in Hebrews chapter 1 where the apostle Paul, we believe, who wrote these words, said these things. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Say things not seen. Things not seen. So we have a man, Abraham, who believed in things that were unseen. He couldn't see them. You know, this Lazarus was like that too. He couldn't see it, but he believed in it. It was the unseen world that he believed in. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, that the things which are seen were not made of things which you can see. You know, to be a man of faith, you have to be a person who believes that the invisible things that you can't see, you have to live your life believing they are there. Believing God is not leaving you. He's not leaving your side. He's not going to abandon you. No matter if it appears that he is, he is not. You just have to have that established. God will not leave you comfortless. He will come to you. He will not put on you more than you can bear. All of the things that God says in his word are true. And no, when things come against you, you say, it seems that God doesn't care. It seems I can't bear this. It seems I can't do any of this, but I can. Amen. And that's the life that Abraham lived that was so incredible. You see, verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The amazing thing to me, that there was a man who was laying at a gate under a table with sores on his body, begging and hoping and pleading, and yet he was a man who believed. He was a man who believed in what he couldn't see. Even laying under the table begging for that food, he believed that one day things aren't going to be like this. You know what? God is working all things out according to his will for me in this moment as I'm here. This man, Lazarus, was a man of faith. And that might be real hard. I told my wife that was the first thing that came to my mind. The most difficult thing for me about this story is that the man laying at the rich man's gate under the table begging for food was a man of faith. Now, how do you know he was? Well, where did he go? Did he go to the place of torment where the faithless go? Or did he go where the father of the faithful was waiting to comfort him? In his bosom, where did he go? He went where he believed he was going when he died. By faith, Noah, being warned of things not seen. Do we see this again? See this, keep this pattern, these things not seen. Yet he moved with fear. He, prepared, he moved with fear. He prepared an ark. He couldn't see it. He couldn't see rain. He'd never seen rain before, but God said it was going to rain. And so you know what he did? I'm building an ark. Why? That's stupid. No one's ever seen rain. No floods ever happened. This can't be. It doesn't matter. God said to do it. God said this was going to happen. That's what a man of faith is. He doesn't look around at what he sees and say, uh, 
maybe that's good. No, it doesn't matter how ridiculous it seems. Verse 8 of Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out of a place where he should after receive for an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he went. He couldn't see where he was going. Nothing you could see, no map. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as its strange country dwelling in tabernacles. For he looked for a city. Everybody say he looked for a city. Faith is walking around every corner with God in your life going, well, where is it? Is it, is it there? Wait a minute. Wait, God. Wait a minute. Is it over here? You see, you see the action that he took? He's walking around. You might wonder, why was Abraham walking around? But he was looking for it. Why? Because God said it was there. Everyone says, oh, no, the Hittites, they live over there. Oh, no, you don't want to go over there. The, the Amalekites, they live over there. These Canaanites, oh, well, he's, oh, I got to keep going because God says it's gonna, I'm going to go. So he just kept looking. You see, this was his faith, Luke. His faith was that he was looking for it. Do you understand that? He was looking just like we look for the kingdom of God. We look for the kingdom of God. Now, you might say, how could the man under the rich man's table be looking for the kingdom of God? He was. I don't know. And in heaven, we'll have time to talk to him about it. Well, how were you looking for it? How did you endure such great contradiction? How did you endure this life that you were living, such suffering and difficulty? Hebrews gives us the answer to that. Does it not? Many people saw great things happen and others did not. In fact, Abraham was one of those who did not. Do you know Abraham did not live to see the promise come to pass that God gave him? God had him die before the promise came. Yet he's still faithful Abraham. Faith is looking for what can't be seen, looking to see what God has said will be, looking for it with expectation. Through faith, Sarah received strength to conceive and was delivered of the child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. There's the faith. How did she do it? Because she believed God could do it. She was expecting it to happen. Yeah, at, at first she laughed, but she was convinced. We know God convinced her by means, right? Made her uh, to be able to understand this. God had promised it, and she believed, and she acted on that belief. Therefore, by say, therefore, therefore, sprang there even one of him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky, the multitude of the sand, the sea which is by the seashore, innumerable, all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them. You see, Abraham died looking for Jesus. Abraham died looking for the Christ to come. And because Abraham was looking for the Christ to come, he had faith in Christ and was able to be one of God's men of faith. In fact, the father of the faithful. Not having received them, verse 13, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Is this how you live? Is that the life that you live? You know what? I'm just a stranger here. You know what? If they don't like me, if they don't include me, if I don't succeed, if I don't have them, if I lay under the table, if I'm begging for food, if I got sores on my body, if I look like Job and I'm worse off than Job and the whole world's looking at me and saying, turn your back on God and curse God. Are you that would say, you know what? It doesn't matter. Do you need to fare sumptuously in order to have faith? 
Verse 15, if they had been mindful of the country where they came from, they might have opportunity to have returned. Do you understand that? Abraham did not look back. But now those people that died, it says, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared them a city. They looked for this new country. They spoke about it to one another. They went from place to place seeking it out. That's what people of faith to do. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, his only begotten son. Verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he received him in a figure. Abraham died walking in faith because in the coming Christ that he could, he, he could not see yet, he saw him in his son Isaac. Now this place is called Abraham's bosom. Because people of faith go there. Now the Bible does not tell us all the hows and the whys of all this. But it does tell us that the name of this place, what Christ referred to it, was Abraham's bosom. As you heard more than once as we read, the rich man sees Abraham. I don't understand this. He sees Abraham. He talks to Abraham and Abraham talks to him. This is just mind-boggling to me. Absolutely mind-boggling. He explains that he was there because of that, that the man who wasn't there, who was in this other place, was not there because of his lack of faith and that those who would join him in his place of torment would join him because of their lack of faith. Now, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but what I'm trying to get at is that in some way, this father of the faithful, God's friend, the one who he made covenant with that literally gave birth to the nation of Israel was not only the patriarch of a nation, but somehow after death, he became the patriarch of this wonderful place. I don't know. I don't understand it. I'm not trying to form a new doctrine, but he was. Jesus said he saw him there. He talked to him and he asked him. And although people can't go from one place to another, he was talking to Abraham. That's all we know. One more thing about the name of this place where Lazarus went is that and in, in, in this one more thing, there's a little piece of heaven in itself. The place was not just called Abraham's place. Or even Abraham's paradise. It was called what? Abraham's. Now, I love a garden, honey. And I love mountains. And we've seen some pretty gardens together, have we not? I love the beauty of what God has made. And I really can't hardly get enough of looking at it. It kind of fills my soul when I see something beautiful. Michael, you've talked about walking, you know, in the mountains, right? You walk the Rocky Mountains, right? Saw some beautiful things, and then it kind of do something for you. As good as all that is, the term bosom, though, tells us of so much more. When Adam walked with God in the paradise of Eden, he talked with him. There was a closeness that those two had together in that special time in our history. And Adam, in his 930 years that he lived... He must have dreamed of one thing more than all the others. And I don't think he was dreaming about the trees. I don't think he was dreaming about the waterfalls and the flowers and the butterflies that flew around. Do you, Andy, do you think that's what he dreamed about? I think he dreamed about walking with God. I think what he missed most was the beauty of the holiness of God, the purity of his own conscience. There was so much more wondrous thing than anything he could see, anything he could taste or feel. He desired to be returned 
to the bosom of fellowship with God. You see that the word bosom is akin to those words used in the story of Nathan the prophet where the poor man, he had this one little lamb and he kept it on his lap. And he loved it and he pet it. But David, you know, he know the story, right? He, the rich man comes and he takes the one little lamb, takes it out from his, from his bosom, from his lap, and kills it. It's also akin to the story of Elijah and Zarephath where her, the widow woman's son dies and she's holding him close to her, not wanting to let him go. And the prophet says, give me that boy. And he takes, takes the boy out of her bosom and raises him from the dead. Most of you mothers are quite familiar with this concept. If I look around the room, I can probably see a baby that's fallen asleep close to you, holding you. You see, this wasn't Abraham's place. It was Abraham's bosom. The most intimate thing to draw your tender babe close to you, to become fused together in a oneness of love and tenderness as you hold them close to your body. This paradise, Abraham's bosom, was not only a return to paradise lost, it was a restoration of love and communion between man and God and between all men. This is what paradise truly restored would be. Oh, what a place it would be! Not merely a garden of loveliness, not merely a place where we are permitted to enter, but a place where we are lovingly welcomed, where we will be touched, infused with others in unity and affection. Oh, how beautiful a place it will be. Honey, won't you want to go and put your face in the chest of your father and have him hold you and welcome you? That's what the joy and the rapture of heaven will be like. And what it was for Lazarus, who was there laying under the table alone. What he got, I'm sure the, the food was good. I'm sure things were pretty. I'm sure he was glad his sores were gone. But I guarantee you more than all that he desired to be loved, to be touched, to be held. Having lived in this world of pain so long, Jesus, as he was close to the end of his days, gave the disciples a foretaste of this paradise when he welcomed John to lean upon his bosom, upon his breast. You see, in this culture, the greatest honor that could be offered to anybody at a feast, the greatest seat that could be offered, would be the one where you laid in front of the host and you laid upon his breast in the bosom of his love and affection. Don't you love to sit with people that you love and be near them and talk to them and recline together? Gideon drives me crazy. Where is he? Every day. Valiant. Every day. These kids. Don't they drive you insane? They look around the room and they look over and they're like, you know, and I see him coming. I'm like, don't you think about that? Oh, dad, you know, and they come, and then they want to, you know, it's, it's almost like they're that kitten in that cartoon, you know, with the dog, you know, and they just, they want to get up and they want to lay, oh, they want to be right You know, today God's offer this the same thing as we gather together. We hold the bread and wine. We press it together. We stand here and we're not reclining on the ground as it were. But Steve, we are there close to each other. We are enjoying a piece of paradise in the bosom of the elect. Because you see, that's what it's going to be. We're going to be together. 
After Christ's death and resurrection, I think it would be plain that this place might have gotten a new name, Andy. Now, it doesn't say this. I'm not trying to form a new doctrine, so, but you can check me out. I don't think it was called Abraham's bosom anymore. After Jesus came there. Abraham's bosom was a place where Abraham welcomed people before, but Christ's words to the thief on the cross moments before both of them would die, this day you shall be with me. Where? In paradise. There was, as that cross was up there, you know, there was a gulf fixed between them. And where Christ couldn't take the thief and embrace him, he could do it now. Because in paradise, there was nothing that will be between them. No cross, no suffering, no difficulty. This day shall you be with me in paradise. Paul tells us to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord, the scripture tells us. Paradise is constant, never ending, enjoying union with God. No more separation. And I almost hate to do this to you all, but I have to do it to you all because as wonderful as heaven is, and if the most beautiful thing of it all is that there is no separation from good people, no separation from God's people, and no separation from God, what would be the worst thing on earth? The worst thing out of this world, the worst thing in the underworld would be what? To be separated from God, to be separated from good men, and to have a gulf fixed between you and them, and you can never cross the gulf. I can't imagine being in the torments of the place where the rich man went and looking over and, and seeing Jonathan and not being able to go over there and wanting him, you know, to talk to him, to see him, for him to, Jonathan, help me. And Jonathan can't hear me and he can't come. I can't imagine anything like that. You see, when Jesus used the word hell, he used the Greek word Hades. And Hades is a person. Well, he's a god with a small g, and it's a place. Some of you a little uncomfortable with Greek mythology should get a little bit more comfortable with it, knowing that Jesus used it to tell the story he said that the man was in Hades. Now, Hades is not hell. It is not the lake of fire. It is a place. It is like this room, but in it, there is a division. And it could have been said also that the poor man went to Hades as well. But within that, he was separated into two different places. And he was in a place where in there, there were no godly men. There was no spirit of the Lord filling men, filling men with love. All that was there was really what everyone who doesn't believe, who doesn't have faith, who they, they get exactly what they've always wanted. They want to be left alone. They want God to leave them alone. They don't want to be presumed upon by God and the people of God. They want to be as far away from them as possible. And so God, Steve, he gives them what they've always wanted more than anything. And it becomes something more horrible than they can ever imagine. It came to pass that when the rich man died, he, he went to Hades. He went to this unseen world. In fact, Hades was the god of the underworld in Greek mythology, and it became the name of the place 
of the unseen. And I thought this sort of tied together, the unseen. We believe in those things which we cannot see. That's what faith is. Faith is not only believing in the unseen world of the angels, but it's also believing in this unseen world. Hades was known, the god Hades in Greek mythology was the god of the rich. He was the god of the underworld, of the unseen. He's also known as the unseen one. And so the place that he went was so horrible that you can't imagine and you would not want to imagine it. By faith, we may not understand it that the grave in our text, but hell is a real place. It is not to be confused, as I said, with the lake of fire. I'm trying to figure out how to wrap this up without going too long here, because I know I've gone away a long ways here. You know, Brother Michael, when I would read the story about Christ dying on the cross, it was very hard for me to understand what was he so upset about. Every man dies, right? Now, not every man dies the same death. I don't think it was the scourging. I don't think it was crucifixion itself. I don't think those things were the things that was, that were on his mind. I think he understood something about this that we don't understand and that we might understand today. Is that when Jesus died, he had to go, he had to go to hell himself. The Bible tells us about this and it's not ambiguous about it, but I don't think that we understand it as well. Why when he died, if he was going to this place, why would he not just go to Abraham's bosom? Because Abraham's bosom was not a place for sinners to go. And all the sin of the world that was placed upon Christ. When he died, he didn't go to Abraham's bosom at first. There in Hades, he would be subject to the unimaginable. He would join the rich man in a place of torment, the great gulf separating him from all good men and the mercy of God. This was a place no man would want to go willingly. A paradise is a, for, as paradise is a foretaste of the glories of heaven. This place where the impoverished rich man prayed to Abraham for Lazarus to bring him a drop of water and cool his tongue was a foretaste of an unimaginable, horrible eternity that comes to the damned. I believe the Bible teaches us that Jesus went there as sinners do. This is what Jesus did for us. He went there to do what only he could do to come back out. I don't know how long he was there, but it must not have been for very long because we know, according to his word, that that very same day he would be where? He would be in paradise. He said he would. Now remember the words of the creed. We may even want to think about this. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into... Do you know a lot of the creeds and the more modern translations, they don't say that. They say that Jesus went to the grave. But the third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven. What it says is that he descended into Hades, but Jesus did not go to the lake of fire. But he did go to the unseen world of the dead. 
he did go to this place. But where did he go in there? I believe the torments of this awful place did their very best to put a hold on him. But as death could not keep him, neither could hell. The grave, it had no power over him. When he arose, he held the keys of two things. It says in the scriptures that he held the keys of death and the grave. And the way it's often said because of the King James, once again, is death, hell, and the grave. But it's really death and the hell of the grave. It's two things. Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 tells us all of this and breaks it down for us. You men of Israel, hear the words of Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by them in the midst, as you know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Everybody say, loose the pains of death. Because it was not possible that it should take its hold on him. Jesus died, you understand? But death could not keep working on him. He rose from the dead. And in the same sense, as you will see here, that he went to this place where sinners go, but it could not hold him either. Okay? David speak concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope. This is Peter's sermon in the book of Acts, chapter 2. For thou will not leave my soul in hell. Everybody say, in hell. The grave. The unseen place of the dead. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He goes on to say that thou hast made me to know the joys of life. Thou shalt make me full of the joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me speak to you of David. And he goes on, he talks about David. And he says, David said in verse, in, in back in the psalm, seeing therefore he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh saw corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are witnesses. And I know I've gone on for a long time and, and maybe too long. I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. But I'll tell you this. That Christ has conquered death and hell and that he has the keys of them and that one day there'll be no unseen place of the dead no uncertainty about what will happen but people today are in the place of abraham's bosom they're in the place where good men go men of faith go and there are people in a place that is not the lake of fire and they are awaiting the judgment day and when that day comes they will be judged according to their deeds and we are so thankful we will not be judged that way because if we were, we would have no hope of heaven. But as the book of Revelation tell us that one day that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and there'll be no more death and there'll be no more unseen place of the dead. But for now, those that have gone before are waiting for the day for that to end. That hasn't ended yet. So how are we living our lives today? You might want to think about it. Where am I going to go? I hope every person in this room is confident of where you're going to go. Are you a man of faith or a woman of faith, a child of faith? Do you look for his coming by faith in Christ or are you relying on your good works? Are you relying on your status, your position, your family? I hope not. I hope you're relying by faith on, in Christ for your salvation. Let us pray.
Lord God, I pray for all of us today, Lord, that we would be men and women of faith, that we would be thankful for the great gift that is salvation and know, Lord, that heaven is so much more than a paradise of things, but it is a paradise of blessing and love and communion with your people and with you. Lord, may we long for it and hope for it and may we look for it as we look for the kingdom of God. May we be living our lives as strangers in the earth, knowing that this is not our country, but there is one that we're looking for as Abraham looked for the city whose builder and maker you are. Lord, may we live our lives like that. May we be otherworldly. May we not be looking for hope and joy and peace in this time. And if we find ourselves covered in sores and laying under a table and begging for food, may we be capable still to have faith that you are good and kind and you have given us better than we deserve even here in this life. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.